0: So, we are in the book of Romans, chapter 3. So, in two sermons, I've gotten through verse 21. Sorry, okay? But I tell you, there is nothing clearer in the Bible of what God has done for us. It will change, it absolutely will change our life if we meditate on this. This passage from 321 through Say three twenty six twenty seven, probably is one of the most effective passages in the Bible for saving sinners. Some of the most some of the most influential Christians in in history have been saved by this passage. That they attribute this passage to them. John Bunyan, who who uh, wrote Pilgrim's Progress, probably in terms of other than the Bible, the most published book in English ever. Um attributes 325 to his salvation. When he understood 325, he understood that God could forgive him and that it was God's delight to forgive him. And for people like me, who are very sensitive to their sin, recognizes that they're a sinner right now, right in front of a holy God, that they're a sinner and that God would accept them. You have to look at what God says here. This is, will change your life, can change your life. William Cowper, who was a hymn writer with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath the flood lose all their guilty stains. He was a poet and he suffered seriously from the time he was a teenager with depression and really probably one to where now he would probably have medication for it because he was always just having to gasp for air almost, it seemed like, in his life. And he was uh, in an asylum, which was just a man's house, a doctor's house. And this doctor was a Christian man. And day after day, this doctor just said, Brother Cowper, just look to the Lord. He absolutely loves you. He really wants you. And he wants to give you rest. He doesn't want your mind to always be in a turmoil. And so he had a a chair by a window, and day after day after day, this man went to that chair and to that Bible by the window, and he just begged God, please give me some release. Please let this life be enjoyable to me, because I I love nothing. Everything is darkness to me. And he gets to 325, and I want to read to you what he wrote in his diary on that summer day when he read this passage that we're going to look at today. Immediately, I received strength to believe it, and a full beam of the sun of righteousness shone upon me. I saw the sufficiency of the atonement he had made, my pardon sealed in his blood, and all the fullness and completeness of his justification. In an instant, I believed and received the peace of the gospel. Unless the almighty arm had been under me, I think I should have died of gratitude. My eyes filled with tears, transports choked my utterance. I could only look up to heaven in silent fear, overwhelmed in love and wonder. But the work of the Holy Ghost is described in his own words. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory. So... I want you to, as you look into the scriptures with me, and as I try to explain what I see here, think with faith, read with faith, look with faith. Faith is just relying that God said the truth to you. It's not your smarts. It's not your ability to hold on. It's not the strength of your arm. It is simply taking God at his word. And when God says he loves you, he loves you. But most people have no problem with the love of God because they don't know what it cost them. The love of God means nothing. It's just, sure, I'll take the love of God. No, this passage will save a sinner, not because it tells you that God loves you, but it tells you what God had to do in order to to express that love to you. When you see that, you believe him. You trust him. Okay, so that's my prayer for all of us. I'm going to read from 321 to 327, and hopefully, if you can pray that I can get to 325 real fast, that's where I'd like to spend most of my time, okay? Romans 3, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God had set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him with believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay. But by the law of faith. So we looked here at this idea that a righteousness of God has been manifested. That has nothing to do with the law. So when you see righteousness, we we saw that last time, that righteousness, we have this idea of of being like God. If you're righteous, you're like God. If you're righteous, your heart lines up with his heart exactly. Your morals are exactly like his. Your motives are just like his. And when you use that as the definition of righteousness, it is not very hard for anybody just to say, I'm not righteous at all. There's nothing. If, If I compare myself to myself, I'm okay. If I compare myself to somebody worse than me in my opinion, I'm fine. If you compare yourself to me, you're great. You compare yourself to God and say that morally you must be like God. Your heart must be like God. Your motives must be like God. Your thinking must be like God. And suddenly, it's a laughing matter. And you realize that that there is no saving yourself by being really good. You can't be good enough. There isn't anything. It's it's ridiculous. So when you say that a righteousness from God that has nothing to do with the law, that means it has nothing to do with my obedience. It has nothing to do with my record. It has nothing to do with how hard I tried or what I achieved or what I succeeded at. It doesn't have anything to do with what you're working on, Okay, what you're trying to get over. It has nothing to do with that. A righteousness of God, which means that for the believer, their heart is exactly like God's heart, in God's mind, in God's estimation, in God's evaluation, that a believer in Christ is no difference than he himself. There is no, you're not going to go to heaven and dirty heaven. When you get to heaven, heaven will not be dirtied at all by you, by me. And that is an amazing thing because Christ has lived for us. He's lived in our place. I always knew that Christ died for me. To know that Christ lived for me is much more of a joy in my heart than that he died for me. That he died for me that he died for me is is beyond your ability to even grasp it. That God Almighty became a man that he might be condemned as a blasphemer so that I might be shown as righteous." That is beyond our, our wildest imaginations, but the church has said that so long with no power. The church has proclaimed that every day of my life, and the church is anemic. The church is not powerful. The church, the church you say something and nothing happens because God is not truly honored by us because we somehow have this easy belief that it doesn't cost anything it doesn't nothing changes that there's no change i can i can live totally against god's will and be ex- totally accepted as a christian in this in this country i can live in outrageous affronting sin openly that everybody in town knows i can parade my cause with a flag and everybody will think what a good man he is. God loves him. Do you see? This, This country has called right wrong and wrong right for so long that we don't realize what God has done for us. To a person who looks into what God has done for us, the next step is repentance. The next step is not, oh, what a nice idea. What a nice idea that God is love. What a nice idea that Jesus loves me. No, the next idea is electrocution of your entire being to the point where you fall on your face and beg for mercy. Because when you see true love, when you see the cost of that love, when you see what God really is instead of the puppet and the cartoon character that the American church has made him into, then suddenly now there will be a change in your life. You will not live as a wicked person claiming to have all of the rewards of heaven, you will recognize that what God says God means. And suddenly I will take him at his word, and suddenly I have holy reverent fear before a God who is greater than me and holy, holy, holy and infinite in power. There is a, there is a power that comes upon the church when they repent, and there is a repentance that happens as a result of the gospel coming to your mind for the first time. And that it is a change in your life and a power in your life. And you are a weak person, sinner person, but there is power. You can be a sinning Christian and have power in the Holy Spirit because we are not judged on our record. There is a righteousness. That has been manifested without the law being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The last time we met was before Christmas. And I simply took you to the passages that show every, and I only took you to the slightest sliver of what I even know, of how Jesus was to be shown in every regard hundreds and hundreds of years before he was ever there in the most minute detail. Of who he was and what his office was and what that meant, that the entire Bible has one story. The t- entire Bible, the story of God's uh, of God's word, is that God is righteous. That He is always consistent with His own personality. He never bends. He's never bendy. He's never. He never, doesn't grade on a curve that the outflowing of God's righteousness is that he values his righteousness, that he sees it as important, that he loves it, that he promotes it, that he publishes it, that he demands it of his creatures. So when he wrote the law, hundreds of years before Christ came, that law is exactly like God. God, it's what would God do? That's what he would do. He would live in such a way that he would be flawlessly exactly like the, the law, that the law would overlap his character in every dimension. Well, then he gives that law to us, and that's not unrighteous. But that law was never meant to save us. That law was meant to make us so feel so ridiculous that we are so undone that we run to the Savior that was provided for us. Because this passage says a righteousness of God without the law is manifested, shown to you, proclaimed to you, proclaimed by your mother when you were three, when your grandmother who cried over your wicked teenage years. To the, to the people that you know are in glory now. The ones that you are sure of. The ones that you know know God and they told you the gospel, that gospel is the gospel of God's grace expended through the death of his son. So when the righteousness of God comes to us, it is in the person of Jesus. He lived for us. He died for us. And he, in all regards, before his father replaces us, then frees us. So we are not a a puppet. We're not an empty sock puppet. We are ourselves with our personalities and our histories, and one day we'll be glorified. One day we'll be enabled to wear white for no reason of ourselves, but only what God did for us in the power of the resurrection that required the horrors of the cross, and that's where we're going today. So we look at this idea that at one time the law was how God showed his glory, showed his righteousness, showed that he was righteous, was through the law, but now he shows it through the gospel, and the gospel is in every way a revelation of God's righteousness because God does not look the other way and accept you. He doesn't say, what a nice person, I love him. I'm going to accept him. No, he has to see you through the horrors of Christ's death. Everything that means to a flawlessly sinless man who lived as a man in every way as a man without sinning and then went to my punishment. I cannot sin openly in that that light. I cannot say, I accept your forgiveness. I do want to be with you. I want to be with you because if I live as a sinner, if I live petting my pet sins, saying I'm okay with them, you must accept me, I'm waving my flag and you need to parade around with me, no, you do not. And everybody has their sins. You can look at this group and that group and call them sinners. I call myself a sinner. But I must not, I cannot say I will be a sinner. I will be who I am. God will accept me because he's love. No, I don't. I accept God's, God's verdict and I accept God's provision in God's way. And that requires my full repentance. I repent. I change, I look away, I turn away from my, my disgust, and I look to Christ knowing that I have no power, I knowing that I can't do anything, that I'm not going to be any better today than I was yesterday, but that God has great power in the Holy Spirit for any simple believer in his son. It's through his son that we're rewarded. It's through his son that we have power. It's through his son that we live a supernatural life. So the gospel is the largest, most dramatic revelation of God's righteousness. It's through the power of the gospel that we don't despise, even though it's so simple, even though that a child could be saved. But most people will never be saved. Most people will not take it because it's too expensive. The gospel in its free gift of salvation to you who are are hell-bound is too expensive. Most people will decline it because they would rather have nothing than have what God would want for them. And if I don't repent, how could I be with God for eternity? How would that be a heaven to me? It would be a hell to me. For me to be in God's presence as an unregenerated, unconfessed, unrepented sinner isn't wouldn't be joy, it wouldn't be bliss. It would be the most exquisite misery that you could imagine. So the message of the Bible is that God is righteous, that he demands righteousness, and hallelujah, he provides the righteousness that he insists on from us, and he does it through the death of his son. And that was witnessed by the law and the prophets. So I would just, I would just pause to say, is there anything I'm trusting? Is there anything you're trusting, anything at all, that God is going to accept you on basis of this, this, or this, or this, or this, is there anything at all that you think you've done well enough that God likes you for it? Then I ask that you to throw it away. Everything that's good in your life, throw it away. Everything you've ever done that was right, every time you had good motives, you throw it away. And I, and I also just say, hallelujah, Throw away every poisonous thought you've ever had. Throw away every disgusting act you've ever done. God will will throw it away for you. So I I don't say God judges me on my past, but God also doesn't judge me on what I do that's good now. I'm only depending upon the goodness of Christ in my place, and that's freeing. That's freeing. And the irony of ironies is that any person who looks to Jesus as everything for him. All of their good and none of that they're adding to it does clean their life. Their life is cleaner. A Christian who is trusting the Lord will be progressively like Jesus. His character changes from glory to glory to glory more and more and more effective in his life. Not with more money. Not with more power, not with more fame, not with anything else that this, that this crazy world is, is asking you to believe. And all of these people who wants, to send you, that you, who wants you to send money to, that would love to think that God wants to bless you for this and when God wants to bless you for this, no, I'm not going to promise that to you. God promises to save your soul forever. Anything else you want? then you want the wrong things. But I tell you, a person who has trusted God will also see that he's, he has met every need that I've ever had. He's never, let me, he's never let me completely fall. He's let me be embarrassed at trusting the wrong things. He's let me feel the sting of trusting the world or trusting myself. He's let me fall that way, but he's never let me fall. He's never let me go hungry. He's never let me go friendless. He's never let me go hopeless. And Mr. Cowper, at that window, though his mind still may have been tending towards depression, never knew despair again. He never. And I just say that a Christian is different from the world in that they trust the goodness of God through Christ, and that that is the righteousness of God. So when we, when we go further, it says in 22, even the righteousness which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. To have faith is simply to take God at his word, something simple, something unfakeable. You can't fake having faith. You either trust for what he said or you don't. You can't make yourself believe. You simply hold on to it. You simply take it as I believe that this is the God who doesn't lie. This is the Jesus who raised Lazarus from the dead, and he can do it to me, and I'm dead. And he can raise that death. He can make me feel when I'm as hard as a rock. He can make me love when I'm a scowly old man. He can make me do things when I have no power at all, that God is bigger than me and his ways are bigger than our ways. And there isn't anything that you can say that will make you doubt what he can do if you just believe that he loved you, if you just believed that truly he loves you. And that's what most people don't believe. They believe that he's loving and they believe that he's good But they look at their hands and they look at their past and they look at their inside of their heart and they realize, I'm a fraud. I can't, God can't love me. He can't. I'm just going to be as good as I can and maybe God will love my kids. And I'll sit here and I'll be good and I'll not break the law and I'll mow my yard and I'll try to be a decent man. And maybe God will love somebody that I love. Maybe he'll look at what I did, and he'll reward me, even if he drags me to hell. That's where most people are. But when you look here, and it says that Jesus did something for you that took love to do, and you, you just you look against hope, and you just say, true, 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 it is then that the power of God comes on you. Then the Holy Spirit comes upon your head. Then you're electrocuted in your, in your recognition of your, how bad you were. You didn't have any idea how bad you were. You thought you were good. You just thought you were baddish. You had no idea what hell will be for you. And then you realize it's not for you, that Jesus took your hell, that he suffered every bit of what you would suffer. And suddenly you're like, he loves me that it's impossible, that it, it can't be. So when we, look at, when we look at this next verse, that it's through simple faith is what it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's a downer of a verse. I've always seen it as a downer of a verse. All have sinned. That means I've sinned. That means you've sinned. That means it's a, ha- it's a done deal. It's already in the past. It's, it's already done. Don't expect that God will judge you at the end of time. You've already been judged. You've already been condemned. It's over. It's not, there just hasn't been punishment yet. That's just the only deal. I haven't been dragged off to hell yet, but I've already been judged. And faith in Christ is bigger than I think it is because what happened is that condemnation that God has already pronounced on me was put upon Jesus' head. And he took it instead of me. And I went free because God has nothing against me. When you realize that if Jesus took your punishment, God is not mad. You're not under probation. He's not angry with you. He's not miffed with you. He doesn't look, he doesn't tolerate you and put up with you that he truly loves you, and that you're at total peace with him, that all of that condemnation is gone, that there's nothing left. Jesus Jesus did not, in some ways, make God not be so serious. Jesus did worse than that. He did stronger than that. He did more than that. What Jesus did was completely make God at peace with us, and that is a bigger deal than simply, hey, God, you're too stressed out. You know, give them a break. They're only made out of dirt. No, it was was bigger than that. And so when you realize what Jesus did, suddenly you value Jesus, you evaluate him higher, and then he means more. And then when he asks you to do something, there's nothing outrageous. There's nothing Jesus could ask me that's outrageous. He could ask me to lay down my life. That's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm okay with it. He could say, you throw away your sins, they're destroying you, and I'm like, help me, God, I'll do it. He, he'll tell me the hard things, the things that are just too hard to do, too embarrassing, too humiliating, and God will help me and I can do it because I realize what it took God to save me. And that's what we're going to see here. Look at 24 being freely, being justified freely through his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now justified is when God points at you and says not guilty. No, more than that. When God points at you and says flawless. When God points to you and says no sin at all. But even more than that, when God points to you and says has pleased me every moment of their life, since they were born, never, ever opposed my plans, never in any way put themselves ahead of me, never had another God before me, never did anything ever outside of my will. That's what justified is. God, with his absolute righteous finger, looks at you and says, just, righteous, lining up perfectly with his character, that there is no difference between you and him in character. And God, who cannot lie, says it. God, who never grades on a curve, who never looks through his fingers at you, who knows exactly every sin that you've ever committed, even this moment knows what you're committing now, and knows that you're not loving him even now with all your heart, knowing now that you, that you should go to hell for even what you're doing now. And with all of that, he is perfectly righteous in saying justified, 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 perfect. If I had never sinned ever from the time I was born, I would have nothing to commend me before God. Because just because I never offended God doesn't mean I ever pleased him. I never did anything to please him. I never loved him with my full heart. I never gave him anything. But I've sinned every moment of my life and never pleased him, ever. But Christ did. So when Christ's life is mine, when he married me, when I'm his and everything that is is his is mine, Jesus is mine. He is my life. He was my death. God looks at me and says, justify. And that is better than than what he did with Adam. Adam before the fall, God would look at him and say, innocent. That's different. I would rather be a sinner saved by Jesus than innocent because I have everything that Jesus has. Everything that Jesus is, I've got. I'm richer by a billion, billion, billion times by being forgiven by God than by never having offended God, which is impossible, because I've offended him all the time of my life. And this says justified freely. Now, when I looked at this and said justified freely, I kind of laughed. I was like, OK, it just means justified freely by his grace. It means by his grace, by his grace, or freely freely. So when I started digging, I looked at the word freely in, in the New Testament. And I found a verse that uses the same word exactly the same way. You tell me what freely is. I'm going to read it to you. You tell me what is translated in this verse freely. This is in John 15, 25. Jesus says, but this comes to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. That same word freely is used in that verse but this this, has come to pass that the word might be fulfilled that's written in their law, they hated me without a cause. Freely is without a cause. That means that God called me perfectly like him for no reason at all. For no reason. I gave him no reason to do it. It wasn't because I wanted it. It's not because I was nice. It wasn't because I... Wanted him. There was no reason at all that I gave God to save me. I only insulted him. I only lived for myself. I only wanted what I wanted immediately, and I wanted it. I wanted it with no thought of what God wanted. That's the only thing. That was the only cause I gave God. But He justified me freely through His grace. And that grace cost him something through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The grace of God towards me, that's free towards me, cost the redemption money of Jesus. Now, the only word in English that we ever use the word redeem, other than pop bottles, and we don't even do pop bottles anymore, but when I was 10, that's all I ever did was look for pop bottles because I could redeem them at Foodland for 10 cents piece. I mean, that was money. That was all the money I ever had was pop bottles because I could redeem them. Well, what does that mean? It meant that Foodland, who already owned that bottle, sold me the pop out of that bottle, and if I brought the bottle back, they paid for that bottle a second time. That's what it meant. They paid me for the bottle, and they paid the company for the bottle to buy the bottle sell it to me. Now they charge more than they bought. But redemption means to buy back again. So you see Hosea and his wife, who was just every man in the neighborhood was her boyfriend, and Hosea the prophet, who loved his wife, saw his wife naked on a a block, being sold to the highest bidder in the middle of the street. And Hosea bought her. His wife. He bought her again. He redeemed her, redeemed her. And he didn't buy her so that he could be the next seller of her. He wasn't going to be the next guy who was going to sell her. He bought her so that she would never be sold again. When a museum buys a painting, it doesn't buy it so that it can be the next vendor of the, of the Rembrandt. It buys it so that it will never be sold again. And when God God redeemed you, his grace that's free to you cost him the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, the redemption of his own blood. Now, when we get to 26 and we talk about the blood of Christ, we're going to do that later. You couldn't possibly tag that on anything. To look at the blood of Christ is to look at more than you could do in your lifetime. But we'll look at that. But this is is to say that that you are righteous for no reason other than Jesus paid for you. And to God, that's enough. He's satisfied, he's perfectly satisfied. To know that Jesus paid for you, he looks at you with nothing but love, he looks at you with no uh, scowl on his face. He is perfectly willing to give you the kingdom. For no other reason than Jesus died for you. And the faith that you see in verse 23, through Christ, it says, I'm sorry, in 22, even the righteousness which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all, you preach to everyone, you preach to the dead, you preach to the righteous, you preach to the self-righteous, you preach to the smug, you preach to the, to the prostitutes, you preach to the, every member of every group that you call sinners, you preach to all but upon all them that believe. The Holy Spirit is in the person upon faith. You exercise that faith by simple faith, and light comes to your eyes, and you are indwelled by God himself, and God calls you just. He does it, and he is not unrighteous. He never is unrighteous, and he calls you just because Jesus paid it all for you.